Hey folks, John here from Hands for Alcoholic again. Today's conversation is with Mark James Heath. He is a husband, father, and stand-up comedian. We talked about alcoholism, as we often do on the show. Um, it was great to hear his perspective on things. Uh, also growing up in a household that was against alcohol and finding it on his own. Um, I think the biggest takeaway for me was the idea of replacing resentment with forgiveness, both for ourselves and others, and finding a path forward to recovery and real sobriety. Um, and also that things are not always as bad as they seem unless we decide to take another drink. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Mark James Heath. Uh, so Mark, thank you again for doing this. I really, really appreciate it. Um, I, my favorite question is to ask people how far back they remember alcohol being in their life, not necessarily as imbibing it, but even did it go farther back into family and that kind of stuff is where, what was your, what is your alcoholic lineage <laughs> per se? That is a great question. I feel like growing up, my, my parents, my father in particular was like staunchly against alcohol or any sort of like controlled substances. Like my dad wouldn't even really take medicine. Um, he was just really stringent about that. And then we grew up um, a very sort of, you know, uh, church going family. So it was like, yeah, no drugs, no alcohol. Um, it wasn't until I got older and I had my own personal struggles that I found out that there's alcoholism in my family. And that's part of the reason why my dad was so, you know, strictly against it is because, you know, he dealt with that with his side of the family as far as his his parents or his, his you know, um, uncles and aunts and things of that nature. Um, and then there's always just been like a, a stigma around, um, you know, neighborhood drunks, uh, you know, family members who are always a little loud and always a little smelly people who walk around the neighborhood with, you know, drinking something out of those brown paper bags. I'm not yeah. sure what's in there. And so eventually I'm like, oh, okay, I get what all of this is about. But I can remember that type of stuff way back when I was little is like just guys standing around with brown paper bags and me not understanding why they they were drinking out of brown paper bags. Yeah, I, it's pretty ubiquitous when we think back at it, uh, for some of us at least, uh, that it was always around, even if we didn't fully understand it. Mm -hmm. um, and so there was, a, there was a history of alcoholism in your family, not, maybe not necessarily with your father, but with, with his parents or his, in his family. Yes, for yeah. sure. So it's definitely something that um, that had the potential to follow you. Um, when did you first discover alcohol? How did you first discover alcohol as a solution? Uh, I, it uh, it kind of snuck up on me, I would say. I think um, I was, again, staunchly against like drinking and, and drug use or anything of that sort when I was a kid. And when I was a teenager, that seemed like a very sort of strong stance I was taking. It seemed like everybody's partying and drugs and alcohol. Of course you drink, of course you smoke marijuana, of course you do those things. 
And I'm like, no, I don't do that. That's not how I am. Then you get to college and I don't know, you get this feeling like you, like you're out of the woods, like you, oh, I'm fine now. You know, I'm over 18. Uh, I didn't become a statistic. I made it to college, so I'm sure I'll be okay. Uh, I took my first drink when I was 19 and I didn't really care for it. I still don't. I still have never really enjoyed alcohol. So like that whole uh, like element of, of society where people are like, oh, this brandy is aged and all of this type of stuff. I'm like, nah, I, I drank solely to get drunk. Um, yeah. And I thought that was a fairly normal thing where it's just like, yeah, I'll drink until I don't have any more money or until I pass out. Um, and then I don't drink that often. Um, my favorite question that I would ask bartenders a lot would be like, what's your strongest beer? Or like, what's your, your beer the highest alcohol kind of thing? Because it's like, give me two of those 10% beers, alcohol beers, and then I'm just good for the evening. Um, and that started when I was 19. And then it just, over time, it became a thing where um, within the decade of that, I was like, run into the to the store to buy tall cans and stuff like that when I was feeling stressed out or or couldn't go to an adult function without being like okay where's is the alcohol coming out when when is that portion of the evening happening well yeah I mean that's it's it's almost as if alcohol has this way of at first sort of masking our anxieties especially in those social situations but also as we know it heightens them as well. So it's mm-hmm. this sort of like evil cycle of, you know, this will make me feel better. And then, oh my God, it doesn't make me feel better. And where is it? And I need it now. And ultimately, at least for me, ended up passed out somewhere, drunk, embarrassing myself, ruining the the event, the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so so you drank like this for a decade. Was there were there consequences uh, during this time that you came up against, whether it be relationship wise or legal or anything like that? Definitely consequences relationship wise and just lifestyle wise. And it's interesting because it's more that I have, you know, this alcoholic mind, the restlessness, the irritability, the discontent than that I had these wild nights with this substance. So I never really had situations where I got in trouble with the law, thankfully, Mm -hmm. or when I like did anything like that. I had a few uh, instances where I got blackout drunk and it's like, how did I end up in this room? Or how did I end up in this part of the house? You know, what did I say last night? Like those types of things would happen. But it more became a thing where I was just number one, living a double life you know um my wife would have like cooking wine and I would like sneak the cooking wine and then like try to fill it back up with like water or one time I had the idea to put vinegar in it and then mold started growing in the wine uh I like would sneak her vodka out of the freezer because I did not want to tell people I was drinking I had built this reputation for Uh... the majority of my life of being this guy who doesn't drink or who doesn't do drugs or any of those sorts of things. So I was really, uh, even to this day, a lot of my like childhood friends is like, you're, you're an alcoholic. Like, I don't, that's that's not something I would have thought you would ever say, but so that was a big part of it. And then just never having enough money, never paying bills on time, never being responsible with those sorts of things to the point where I got us, I have a wife and, and, and now three children, but at the time, 
Um, it was me, my wife, and our, our two children. And I got us evicted from our home at one point. All of those types of things uh, happened. And, you know, arguments and fights and, and just being irritable and on edge all the time and getting it to the point where it's like, okay, well, I have this mental obsession where everything is about me getting the drink or me getting the, getting the party. So yeah, I have that work that I have to do, or yeah, you know, my children need my focus. My wife needs my focus. My, my family and my relationships need some sort of uh, focus from me. But really, if I get some free time, I'm going to be trying to, you know, escape from my life and that being the pattern. So that's where all my money is going. That's where all my time and my energy is going. And eventually that just catches up to you. And your life is just completely unraveled at that point. Yeah. You talk about having the double life and um, I certainly did not make it any secret that I was an alcoholic or that I drank or that I was a drunk. Like <clears throat> I was fairly uh vocal about it and or you know people knew like that was just that was part of my personality but there definitely still was this sort of um double life and things like when you say things like cooking wine i know that my <clears throat> i had a roommate who was going to buy who bought a bottle of marsala and it was this very specific kind of cooking wine because he was going to make this chicken marsala dish and while <laughs> he was at work i by the time he came home i was laying in the bathtub uh, it was empty and I was just drinking his Marsala drunk out of my mind in the bathtub that he was planning on cooking this dinner with. And um, <clears throat> even as much as people knew that I was drunk, like there's this, it's really stressful to keep that, like the little secret thing where, you know, there was a woman I was dating and I would go see her and then I would drive home that night, but I, it would be very late at night. And so I would have to go and get my six pack or 12 pack of beer put it in the trunk before I went and saw her so that by the mm -hmm. time I got home, I knew that I had something to drink, even exactly. though it would be like one or two in the morning. And so there's all these little things that we do to sneak around. And then if you are, if you're walking, if you're sharing with people that you're a sober person or that you don't have a problem necessarily, and then it's a problem everywhere in your personal life, like it breaks your brain. Yeah. Absolutely. You're never really honest with yourself about what it is you're doing um, or why you're doing something uh, or how much you actually do drink. Even if people know you drink, you're never like, yeah, I drink and pass out. <laughs> you know, most of the time when I drink, it's always you trying to dress it up and, and make it seem like it's normal or it's regular or you're not doing anything out of the ordinary. Um, and that for me, spills over into every aspect of my life. I'm doing a lot of things that it's like, this is actually concerning, you know, the way you're managing your finances or the way you're spending your time or the way, or the way that you are living your life. This is really unhealthy, but you're never really uh, telling your doctor or your friends or your family or your wife or whoever the full story. There's always you know, this little dark part of it that, you know, you just keep to yourself until eventually you start to believe that. So when people start to see it and they're like, yo, man, you're, you're off the rails. There's all these arguments. Like, I'm not that bad. You know, you're, you're coming down on me. Now the whole world is against you. That's a, 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 a essentially what happened in 2018. I had a bit of uh, what I like to call like a mental health healing crisis where okay. 
the whole house of cards just is tumbling down. And it's like, there's nowhere else for you to sort of hide and pretend like you have like a normal life. My, uh, my wife, bless her, is very good at sort of drawing boundaries and things of that nature. And she was just like, yeah, the way you act, your, you know, your erratic behavior, that sort of thing. I don't feel safe. I don't think it's going to work. And I'm going to need you to, you know, get out of here until you can get yourself together. Which, of course, and in my state, I'm taking that very much as, which is really an opportunity, right? But in my state at that time, I'm looking at it like, oh, okay, so you're kicking me out. That's, that's what's happening. All right, this is even more of a reason for me to devote my whole time to whatever it is I feel like I want to do. Because the only reason I'm hanging on to any sobriety, really, is to show up for this family. So if I don't have that anymore, I'll just go somewhere and make that my whole life. So I became that person. I became the person who we associate with alcoholism is the, the guy sleeping on the park bench that's scraping up whatever money he can get his hands on to go mm-hmm. get intoxicated. And then um, I'm also a stand-up comic, which is how I know Whitney. And uh, a comedian had taken his life um, in Chicago. He was somebody who was very beloved by the Chicago community. And so they held a memorial for him at the Laugh Factory. And I didn't really know this comedian very well, but it's one of those situations where, number one, I'm already just kind of hanging out at comedy clubs late into the night because I don't really have a residence at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and then people are all in that energy of, we just lost someone. We're happy to see everyone in the community. So you feel very welcomed, even though at the same time, it's like, I'm kind of crashing this dude's memorial here. Like I'm, I'm not really close to him, but I do do stand up and everybody's like, oh, Mark, there you are. And people can see at this point from 2016, when I moved back to Chicago to 2018, there's a clear sort of decline in my mental health. But I'm sure all my peers were like, yeah, something's going on with that guy. He's not, you know, holding it together too well. So everybody is kind of happy to see you, happy to see that you're still alive. A lot of drinking, a lot of open bar and all of this stuff is happening. And I wound up, you know, throwing up in the sewer and passed out face down on the curb and uh, almost had alcohol poisoning and people are like getting me water and all of this stuff. And at that point it's like, yeah, you clearly have an issue here like you can't pretend like you don't or pretend like you know your wife is just being um you know naggy or something like that this is really something you you've, you're losing everything and you have this opportunity to get it back this moment of clarity and so from there it's been about you know recovery and trying to stay healthy as much as possible which you know is a is a battle but i haven't had alcohol going on it'll be four years in august so yeah yeah um so in that moment of clarity in you know and it's amazing to me that you you know when you say in the gutter and that's often used as a cliche but it's a very real reality for a lot of people um oftentimes because the gutter is right outside the bar and that's where we end up you know like puking uh, or sitting or laying or passed out um right there on the ground uh, right there. <laughs> and so so in that that night i guess or that that early that morning um and you, do you did you wake up the next day and, and say oh i have a problem 
I've got to do something. Uh, what was the process in that moment of clarity to thinking about getting sober? Well, um, like I say, the restlessness, the irritability, the discontent has kind of been with me um, at least since I was about, I don't know, 11 or 12. Um, before alcohol came into the picture, uh, I had those feelings um, and felt like isolated in that, like something is not right about me and just the way that I, I see things, you know, I don't think anybody would understand this or, or relate to this. And I just kind of got to, you know, keep it together. Um, so I've always felt like that uh, around 2016, 2017, I began to like start to try to seek some sort of mental health um, assistance or, or get some sort of support. But, you know, being able to pay for that, and having insurance and all of that stuff has always been a very tricky proposition. So by 2018, when things are really, really bad, um, and I'm really, like I say, losing all of the things that really matter to me, namely my family, my, uh, my wife and my children, having a really sort of tense uh, relationship with all of them. Um, I'm like, something is not right about this. I have to get some sort of help. Ironically enough, I was talking to my mother who still doesn't really think I'm an alcoholic. And she suggested uh, AA. She was like, well, you know, AA is free. Like you can go to AA if you, if you just feel, you know, how you're feeling and you can't find any sort of counseling support. There is something like that, which is, you know, no cost. Right. So I went, um, <laughs> and just to show you how, the alcoholic mind works. Like I went to an AA meeting and listened to everyone and I related to this whole concept of like, yeah, you know, give your life back to God, try to connect to God, all of that stuff sounded really cool. But I was like, I don't really drink like that. Like I'm not a mm. big alcoholic. I'm not an alcoholic really. So maybe I'm, you know, uh, maybe I'm just looking desperate for something to grab onto and I'm grabbing onto this. Um, and I really don't need it. Um, and I'm taking up space that somebody else could use. So thank you all for, for your help. You're all nice people, but I don't think this is for me. And then once you face down on the curb with alcohol poisoning, you're like, oh no, I think I need to go. I think I need to call those people back. So yeah. that became the whole sort of like feeling like you're in a burning building sort of urgency of like, this has to, we gotta get on top of this. Let's do these steps. Let's get healthy. Let's get back to um, the wife and kids by by sort of any means necessary. So that moment happened probably in July. And like I say, um, I drank a little. I, I still drank um, mm -hmm. some between July and August. And my sponsor was basically like, yeah, that's not really relapsing because you haven't really gone through the steps. So I would be like, yeah, man, I relapsed again. And he's like, you know, you haven't really started the program yet, Mark. You're still, you know, trying to figure out how to do that. But once we got into the thick of it and I just sort of, again, focused very much on, because at that point I knew I was, what I was doing wasn't right. I knew it wasn't working. And once I made the decision, like, I'm not going to take my own life. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to stay here and be alive for the people who I love and care about. Then it was like, I really don't have anything else to do, but get healthy. None right. of this other stuff really matters. Um, 
So it just became a process of that, you know, working the steps, showing up to, to do work in every aspect of my life with gratitude. That's the way before I was so irritated by all the things that were being asked of me by all the different people. I started to see all of these things as like, now you have an opportunity to participate in your life in a, in a good way. Yeah. <clears throat> you talk about those early times of <clears throat> in AA in July and you're still drinking and you say, Oh, I relapsed. And I, what I hear is in feeling, um, and what I feel is this sort of notion of I'm looking for my, my alcoholic brain is still looking for any way to just go back to it. And it's like, well, if I've already screwed up, I might as well, if I can't have any peace, I don't want any at all. And I'm just going to go back to drinking. Was that, was that kind yeah. of what the relapse conversation was about? There, that's a big part of it. There's a, there's just this, this part of you that's always like, well, I'm a screw up and I'm, mm -hmm. I'm either going to screw this up or I, I must be screwing this up. Um, mm -hmm. And that is so stressful. There's so much stress in like, I, I, I could get this right, but I probably won't. And there's so much, it's, it's a relief, at least initially to just be like, you know, I'm not gonna get this right, so forget it. You know, yeah. who cares? I'm, yeah. I'm gonna screw up, let me go ahead and sit down here on the bottom and get comfortable because I'm never gonna be able to climb up. But that feeling of, Oh God, I'm at the bottom. I'm at the bottom. How do I get out of here and not feeling like you can? Mm -hmm. It's probably the worst feeling um, that I've ever felt. So it's like the the big part about AA that's kind of um, eye opening for me, or at least was was that whole there's a solution. It's like you don't have an alcohol problem. You think alcohol is a solution to your problem, and once you get that alcohol out the way and start to look at actual solutions you'll start to see results <clears throat> yeah and so and this so this happened the late summer of 2018 um you get the sponsor you go through the steps and <clears throat> life is miraculously beautiful and wonderful and amazing uh, it's it's um it's a constant uh even now <laughs> but it's a especially back then it was a lot of being humble um, or a lot of, like I say, trying to trying to get your mind back to that place of this is an opportunity. This is an yeah. opportunity rather than looking at it as a defeat. You know, I'm automatically feeling less than or irritated because it's like there are people who drink out here. They have a great time. Mm -hmm. You know, there's all these people that are out here drinking and having fun. I'm a fully grown adult and I can't do that. So there's an animosity there. Yeah. Um, definitely a, a moment where for me, there was this dual sort of situation where it's like, okay, you're an alcoholic or you're an addict, or you have like this, this issue. Um, and you have to admit that. And in order to admit that, you really have to admit what you've always thought about alcoholics, how you've always seen them, how you've always thought yourself better than them you've always looked down on them and how so much of your fear about admitting that you have this problem is about you realizing that you you've been uh you've been this judgmental person yeah. who is judging these people um and part of your identity is well I'm at least I'm not as bad as that guy right like I'm better than him so to to really sort of be like no you're not um and not only are you not better than him 
you used to get off on feeling like you were better than him. So there's this whole moral sort of, um, I don't know how to explain it. Uh, you just feel awful. Like, man, yeah. how bad of a person am I really? Or like this whole facing who you really are and how painful that whole process is and going through the process of forgiving people for being uh, addicted to substances or for making all these really selfish decisions and you taking it personally over the years and you realize, oh, you, you have a whole thing where you were sick and you did this and that. Then there was the whole process of getting back involved with the people who I love, my friends and my family and atoning to them and how that is never really over. Um, because there's the stuff that so obviously I did that I totally remember that was like, that was really horrible. And then there's a whole layer of like, you don't even realize how you were acting. You don't even realize how many things you did that hurt people um, over the over this period of time. And then there's of course the resentment of like, feeling like you've made a change and like you've gone through this whole program and this process and you're different and, but your life is the same life. So now you're back and you're getting into the same source of arguments or conversations or stressors that you were before. And you're like, Hey, look, I'm the one doing all the work here and the rest of you are all acting the same. I, I, I went through a whole program and, you, and everybody else is still doing all the stuff that they used to. Yes. Life still sucks and I'm sober now. Like, God damn right. it, this is not the way it was supposed to be. Right. This is y'all owe me some. Y'all owe yes. me something. I did all this work, you know, and realizing that they don't and that the fact that you can be here and that you can come back and counting all of those things as joy, counting all of those things as like um good things. That that mm -hmm. is that was hard to do, but I'm finding that it's harder to do the better my life is. The further I am removed from that space, like I say, 2018, it was like, oh my God, I'm desperate to get it right. I'm desperate yeah. to get back in. I'm desperate to, you know, uh, make it up to the people who I've harmed. You know, I'm fresh off of that. And I, I feel that the more I get to a place where I feel like, oh, I'm managing my life pretty well the more irritated I am at little things, the more I find myself feeling like I don't need my community or my steps as much or my, you know, the more you start to feel like I got, I got a handle on this, the more you start to slip back into those things. So it becomes harder to see these things as uh, opportunities now that I feel like I'm better, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you talk about the sort of lifelong process of, you know, make, making amends to the people around us. And I think that sometimes I know for me that came with a lot of, in the beginning, it came with a lot of guilt and a lot of shame and I was doing it out of that. And I've now learned a little bit more um, that those, that living amends doesn't have to be out of guilt and shame every single time about all the horrible things I did, because you know, I have learned this from apologizing repeatedly to the same people. And they're like, John, you need to stop. Okay, yeah. we're over this. I'm past it. I have forgiven you. You need to forgive yourself for this. Um, and that was really helpful um, in finding a better way to forgive those things that I did and to move forward with in the relationships that I had, whether it be with uh, a significant other or even just friends that I had that I had. And um 
just finding the humility and the gratitude to kind of just do the next right thing and to go, oh, okay, yeah, I can do this. That's all that means. The living amends is just like doing the next right thing. It doesn't, it doesn't always have to be this horrible guilt ridden apology, right? I mean, those, those do exist. Those are there. And I think those are important to get through, but um, it can be much better than that later on. Absolutely. And there's even that aspect of like the horrible guilt written apology can be a burden to other people where they're like, yeah. you know, where you're, where you're like, oh, please forgive me. And they're like, yeah, man, <laughs> it's, it's so much work that you're putting on my plate for this thing that you did. Right. Um, and then there's, with, I feel like with, especially with my like wife and children, there's the same thing about how for me, there's layers to what I put them through uh, for me. And I, you know, the closer I, the closer we get or the further we go down this path, the more you're like, oh, I didn't even realize how much I've actually done or how much has actually happened because of this. It's the same thing for them. So they'll be very much like, oh, we forgive you. It's all good. And then, you know, you'll, time will go by and something will happen and it'll be very triggering. And you realize, no, there's more to this. You know, yeah. we thought we had gotten over this or we thought we had gotten past this, but this, there's, there's a lot more underneath that we still have to, to process and deal with. So that making amends thing is, and especially when I think about, you know, employers and people like that, who I did harm to, who at the time I'm like, yeah, I, you know, they deserve this or I deserve this or such and such and such. And you get older and you get more, um, what's a good word? You get healthier, I guess. Mm -hmm. And you're like, wow, I really did. You know, <laughs> I really was terrible. Like I really was harming these people and I really do owe them an amends. And then there are those people who don't want to forgive you or who don't want, who don't want you to, who you might be coming to them with to atone. And they're like, no, I, uh, not only do I not accept that, I don't want you off the hook. I want to make sure that you stay on the, and you have to reconcile with that, that you can't force them to accept your apology. Yeah. Yeah. You have to figure that out on your own. And again, I mean, I don't, how do you do that? How do you forgive yourself for something if somebody else won't? And I mean, I don't have a good answer necessarily, except right. that you have to move forward and focus on those people in your life that have forgiven you, those people in your life that love you and want you, you know? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, so as a stand-up comedian, and you've mentioned before being in this culture where, I mean, drinking to excess is almost... And from what I what I understand is is almost expected, if not required, in some situations. It feels like it for sure. How do you do it as a sober comedian when you have to go do a show and it's at a bar and everybody's drinking before, during, and after? It's so much easier than you make it. Um, no one, no one really cares if you're drinking or not, for the most part. I haven't had too many situations in my life where people have demanded that I drink. Um, it is a thing where people will offer and some people will even be persistent. Um, but, you know, yeah. you draw that boundary as a grown up, like, oh, I don't drink. And then people will 
And she's like, all right, you know, he does he doesn't drink. Um, and you know, I've been doing comedy for way longer than I have been drinking or was drinking. Mm-hmm. And in the beginning, I was a kid, so I couldn't really drink. So it's just funny how different your focus is. Um, right. You come into the comedy space to watch the show and learn um, or enjoy the show and then to perform when it's time for you to perform. And that's what the whole experience is about. And all that yeah. other stuff is secondary and third and it doesn't even it's not even on your radar. Um, but once you start to participate in that culture, then you become a part of it. And then it's like, you know, you show up to the venue and you're not as concerned with your set or not as concerned with watching the other people. And you are much more concerned with, you know, I'm going to go, I'm going to go to the bar. I'm going to go to the drink. I'm going to go out in the alley and smoke what everybody is smoking. And that's where your focus is. Once you get back to that mentality of it's like, no, I'm not, I'm not here. I'm not here to consume alcohol. That's not what I came here to do. Right. Uh, there's plenty of stuff to do. Uh, you just have to switch that focus. You know, I tell people all the time that saying of it's like I can go anywhere, or I can go, I can go everywhere, or I can go nowhere. So it's like if I'm going on a camping trip and it's like, well, you know, there are bears in those woods. It's like, yeah, I might have to worry about the bears, but it's a, a totally different thing if I'm going on a camping trip and I'm like, man, I'm really trying to find some bears. And that's really the truth of alcoholism is like when I was in that space, it wasn't that alcohol is just all over. It's like I'm looking for this. I'm going to the place and what I'm and what I'm mentally obsessed with is drinking. I'm I'm mentally obsessed with where's the liquor store? How can I get my I'm planning my whole day out like, okay, I'm going to have to get this before because I can't get it after. So let me get to here early. Let me get cash because I'm going to need it for this. Once you don't make that the center of your priorities, it's a lot easier than you have built it up in your mind to live a life where it's not going to become an issue for you. So don't go bear hunting in the woods. Right. Exactly. And you won't find bears. You won't find bears. <laughs> you know, um, it is a relief, and you're not the first person to tell me this, uh, that when because how I perceive a bar at a comedy show is absolutely not how it actually is. Um, because I say, Hey, how do you, how do you navigate this, these, these dark treacherous waters? And you're like, they're not really that dark or treacherous and nobody cares. And I think that that's a misconception. I think a lot of people have, and it's also a relief to hear that like people don't care. They really don't care. Most people don't care if you drink or don't drink, they're not interested. And, you know, I don't know if you've had this experience, but sometimes it'll come up in a situation where, I'll somebody will offer me a drink and I'll say, no, I don't drink. And then they begin to talk to me about how they should or shouldn't drink so much or, and you know, my inclination is you just say, yeah, you know, to each his own, everybody's got to handle it on their own and, you know, good for you, man. Like it's always something to think about and I just can't do it. Not because I'm, you know, and I tell people not because I'm better than you. It's because I'm worse because I could not handle it at all. I mean, I'm, I'm very weak in that way. And so I just don't deal with it, but I get into those conversations every once in a while with people. And it's, um, funny is not the right word, but it's just interesting how they immediately start bringing up their own issues, whether they're deep or not, you know, Mm -hmm. and I just try to be like as open as I can, but also, I'm not going to offer you any help unless you ask me. Yeah. Because exactly. we know how that goes. 
<laughs> right, exactly. And people don't, you know, people are making small talk. Right, right, right. The yeah, they're really not like, oh, I'm gonna try to quit drinking. They're just like, oh, you don't drink? Well, here's a way for us to here's a way for us to have a conversation, right. um, as opposed to sharing a drink. Um, is right. typically how they. But you get that a lot. You get a lot of you don't drink. Well, good for you. Like you get that energy yeah. often from people. And I'm like, yeah, you have no idea how good it is for me because it's horrible the other way. <laughs> uh, um, so yeah, so you're coming up on four years. That's pretty big. That's a that's a that's a big chunk of time. Um, and what would you say to somebody who maybe was in your situation in 2018 or somebody who's interested in quitting, um, having trouble with it? What kind of advice would you give to somebody new? Um, as cliche as it sounds, or as much as it like, yeah, as cliche as it sounds, one day at a time is a very real thing. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's even more like one moment at a time. Yeah. It's extremely daunting. And again, we go back to that whole thing, <laughs> stress of it all and how horrible that stress feels. It's extremely stressful to be like, you're never going to drink again. Like that thought coming at you is like, but what about this? And what about that? And, and, and then every year I hang out with my friend, we do, you know, and, and thinking about how you're letting all of that go when really you're not doing any of that. You're just in this particular moment, you're not going to have a drink right now. Um, <laughs> Breaking it down into those small pieces is important. By that same token, one thing at a time. Um, I know me, the high, the idea of I'm gonna fix my life. You you get us, you know. I, I tell people all the time the montages in the movies really really messed my head up when I was a kid. This whole, whole concept of and now we're gonna change, and then all of a sudden this eye of the tiger is playing, and it's just clips of you doing all of the right stuff, and then mm -hmm. now you're in shape. That's how you feel in the moment. It's like, I'm going to go out here and everything I ever did wrong, or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quit drinking. I'm going to quit, you know, smoking weed. I'm going to quit eating fast food and drinking, drinking Coca-Cola. I'm going to be the greatest human being I ever could possibly be from now on. And then it's that same sort of thing is one of those things just has to not work out. You just have to eat a Big Mac when you said you weren't going to. And now you're like, whatever. Where's right. the shot? Where's, you know, bring it all on because I failed. Um, when it's like, take these things piece by piece by piece. Even the failure is just this one thing. It's mm -hmm. not, uh, this is all, this always happens to me. And this is a part of a long lineage of me being a failure. And this is my destiny. It's like today you had a bad day or you had a bad moment. Let that be this one thing and let that go. And the next moment or the next day even is a new opportunity for you to do something else. Yeah. Um, and the last thing I would say is really, really take it into consideration that it's an opportunity. Um, the, the kind of the uh, it's a slippery slope as far as judging yourself by other people. <laughs> but part of the thing about having a community of alcoholics is you hear a lot of people's stories and your story is not that bad. Like, you know, like people kill people, yeah. people injure people beyond, you know, rehabilitation and all sorts of stuff. So I guess the final thing I would say is um, really do lock in with your with your community. Yeah. Um, 
take this all as an opportunity to to um, to not to to stop these things before they they get worse. Because yeah. just because you haven't had that experience yet, you could um, you could lose you could still lose your kids, lose your <laughs> wife, lose your freedom, lose your life, take someone else's life. Those things are still possible. So take it as an opportunity to be like, oh, you know, I got, I'm, you know, like you were in a burning building, like you found out you had cancer early enough to where you don't have to die from it. It's like, take this as an opportunity to get yourself together. And then I would say too, um, when I first started out uh, in recovery and people would help me, give me a ride or, or refer me to a job or any of these things, they would always say, well, it, it helps me more than it helps you. And I would be like, you're being polite. You know, you're trying to be nice to me. Um, but it really actually does. When you help other people, um, it feels so much better. And all of the, the things that you've been through that you're like, oh my God, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe that happened to me. I'm so embarrassed. The fact that you can take that and turn to another person and be like, I can use all of that that I went through to save you just a little bit of pain, it yeah. feels like, okay, that was not for nothing. Right. That was definitely completely worthless. It's like, um, at least, you know, I have that experience to be able to help someone else. So helping other people is really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Turn the, uh, turn it into service for sure. It's always, it's always a good thing, you know, and it's when I'm feeling miserable and I go, Hey, maybe I can help somebody else. And that usually turns things around. Mark, thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate it. Thank you for sharing. Um, I really like the, uh, don't go, don't go into the woods hunting for bears. That's a really great one. I like that one a lot. Um, yeah, man. And, um, good luck and, and, and good shows for, stand up and all that good stuff. It was really nice to meet you. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate it. Please feel, keep me informed about, you know, where I can find the podcast and all that cool stuff. I will. Absolutely. And um, yeah, you have a good day and we're done. Thanks again for listening. Our music as always is by Neglect. You can find more of his stuff at neglect.bandcamp.com. And you can find us on all social media platforms that matter. Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can reach us at aisforalcoholic at gmail.com. Talk to you later. Yeah. <laughs>